Welcome to Animation U. I'm your host, Robert St. Pierre. Animation U is a podcast that will educate you about the animation industry and what it's like working in it. We're going to share with you what it's like to work for the big studios, the different types of job opportunities, both as an artist and in pre production management, what each role does, and we'll teach you about the steps other professionals have taken to find work in this incredibly rewarding field. This isn't a guarantee that you'll find work. There's a lot to learn, and that's what we're here to talk about. But this is an invitation to learn about this industry and the steps you can take to a path that increases your odds of finding a lifelong career experience in animation. Are you excited? Me too. Let's begin. Welcome to the Animation U podcast. In this episode, we'll be focusing on the role of a background designer in animation. So I've got a lot of experience in this area. For over 30 years, I've specialized in background design, working for some of the biggest studios in the world. That would include Walt Disney Studios, Warner Brothers, Nickelodeon, Cartoon Network, and a whole bunch of other ones. I've worked on several productions while living in four international countries, and of course I've worked here domestically in the Los Angeles area for pretty much most of my career. I'm also a professor, I teach at the university level, with classes that include background design and perspective drawing for animation, and I also teach at an online school. So, what is background design? Essentially, they're the sets or the environments that you're going to see in feature films or your favorite TV series, or backgrounds that you're going to see in the favorite games that you play. And this is what the characters act on, so those are the backgrounds. Think of them as locations or environments that the characters actually interact with. They can be anything from realistic worlds to fantasy locations. They're stylized, too. Think of shows like maybe Mulan, Rick and Morty, The Despicable Me franchise, or South Park. They're each unique in their design, but all of those shows, like every show, they do require some background designs for them. So the backgrounds also need to be in harmony, the unity of design that the characters and props fit within. So it's really a world that has to feel like it belongs together. Sometimes there's confusion revolving around the name background artist, so let's clarify that. There are different names, but they basically mean the same thing. So the names could be background designer, or background layout artist, or environment designer. They're essentially the same thing. Now, there are, however, different responsibilities that background designers can hold, depending on the part of the animation process they're working in. So for example, pre-production background design. That's the front-end design, usually based off of a script. These are key locations that set the look of a particular environment. Oftentimes, they're going to draw from two different angles that, when combined, provide the sense of what the entire set or that particular location looks like. Production background design, or background layout artists, they're basically the ones that deal with the full production. They're designing backgrounds based off of storyboards, And they're full-size drawings, they do level separations, they do the camera mechanics, they do the character posing, and they're basically setting up the shots for full production animation. They'll do drawings that will be sent out to the animators, and the animators will do full animation posing, uh, all the rough animation, based off the character posing. And then the backgrounds are also split off and sent to the background painting department, and they'll basically paint what the background layout artist draws. And then there's 3D layout artists. Now, 3D layout artists, they're actually a totally different beast altogether. And it gets confusing, but these artists, they don't actually design backgrounds. 
What they do though, is they work exclusively on 3D projects, such as like a feature film or a TV series or a game. And they take existing assets that have already been designed and then modeled by a 3D modeling artist. And these could be environments, they could be characters, they could be props, they're individual objects or locations that have been modeled. And then what they do is they import those into the scene and they essentially set up camera mechanics for that shot or the shots within a sequence. And they pretty much set it up for full animation in the 3D process. And let me clarify what an asset is. An asset is an individually modeled object, basically like a prop or a character, or it could even be a set location. And so again, what the 3D layout artist does is they take whatever's required in that shot and they base it off of a storyboard. They look at the storyboard to kind of like look at what the intention is and they set the shot up, they set up the camera mechanics and they sort of like set it up for the director to come look at and approve if this is the direction that they wanted to go in for that particular shot. Let's get back to uh, background designer, the designers that we're talking about in this episode that actually designed the, the locations. So question here is what kind of films do they work on? Well, they work on all kinds of things. We alluded to it earlier. They work on 2D films, they work on 3D films, they work on game design. All movies or TV shows, direct-to-home DVDs, video games, they all require traditional background designers to come up with what the environments will look like. They create worlds that don't exist and they give inspiration for what the location is going to look like. So what about the skills that background designers need to have? Well, they need to draw really well because this is a traditional process. Everything we do these days is all digital, right? We work on computers, we draw on these things called Cintiqs or tablets, graphic tablets, and we draw our backgrounds that way. It used to be drawn on paper, but now the paper is obsolete. We actually do everything right now uh, through computers. So you need to draw really well. You have to have solid draftsmanship when you're designing environments. You also have to be like really competent at drawing anything. So mostly recognizable spaces, right? You, you'll see that it could be a house, it could be an interior location, it could be a living room, it could be a bank, it could be, a, I don't know, a theme park, whatever. Um, but you could be called to create worlds that don't even exist, or you know, they could be fantasy locations, they could be the inside of a nostril or a stomach, anything like that. You have to demonstrate really strong line work, and by that you have to have some diversity. So having like more of a uniform, singular line weight is important. There are some shows that call for that, only one crisp, specific single line. And then there's other shows that would use something that's a little bit more calligraphic in its line. So that would have a variation, variable line weight, thick and thin line weight. That's what I'm referring to there. You got to be a great designer. You have to understand the importance between shapes, proportions, scale. You need to be able to draw anything from any angle and make it match. I usually refer to that as having like, you know, drawing things that are almost photographically accurate. From any angle, you should be able to draw that. Uh, versatility in design styles. So anything from really cartoony to something realistic, anything in between. You have to be competent at demonstrating that and being consistent with that too. It's also important that you have a historical design sense too. So designs that take place uh, in modern cities or cities that don't exist, but they're modern, made of glass and metal and steel and things like that, you'd have to be able to be competent at that. Or if you're doing a show that goes back to some ancient world, maybe old Rome, uh, you want to make sure that you're able to identify architectural styles and be able to draw those things uh, so that they're convincing, 
right? You need to be capable of drawing any of those spaces convincingly. You got to be creative. Part of what we do is we interpret scripts and we have to be imaginative in, in how we interpret those. So scripts, basically, when you read a script, they're going to have basic information. They might have some description of, of what a location looks like or what a prop or a character looks like. But oftentimes what you really have to do is you have to read the subtext. You have to go under that text and start imagining things that aren't there. And you have to create a space. So basically go beyond the text and into the world of subtext. Uh, you embellish the visuals. Backgrounds are oftentimes exaggerations or exploitations of locations. You really want to push the idea of what it is. You're a storyteller. An environment, as I tell my students, it's not just an environment. That's a mistake that some people think. They think, okay, I'm going to draw this space. It's an environment. But what it really is, other than just a background that characters work on, they're essentially characters themselves. It's an extension of the characters that occupy that space. So when you look at a location, you should be able to have an immediate sense of the story that's within that particular scene or sequence. So that's why I really need to put an emphasis there. You're really creative and you're, you're talking about story ideas. You're embellishing locations so that when anyone looks at the location, they have a clear idea of what that place is. Perspective, really, really important. If you don't know perspective, you're going to be challenged as a background designer. You have to have a working knowledge of it. So that would include the basics, 1.2.3 point perspective, that's fundamental. It's critical. You have to understand those. And then there's other perspectives too that you should know too. Those would be warped perspectives. We call those banana pans, like two point perspective banana pans that can be horizontal or vertical. And essentially what a banana pan is, is sort of like, let's say, because uh, everything we do as background artists, we draw everything completely flat. On, you know, on a flat digital surface. Traditionally, it was a flat piece of paper, but now it's just digital, but it's still flat. And so just imagine if there's a character that uh, you, you have a shot looking down the street and there's a character that walks towards you and then they walk past you right in front of you and turn and walk away from you. Well, that's a distorted background. So it's a one point perspective in the beginning when the person's walking towards us. And then as the background pans from whichever side you're starting from and ending on, Essentially, it's transitioning into a two-point perspective and then to a one-point perspective and then a two-point perspective and then back into a one-point perspective. That would be a horizontal banana pan. That's pretty common. There's a lot of uh, artists that draw like that for animation. The storyboard artists, though, they really do draw an awful lot in a two-point perspective because what they're doing is they're simulating camera moves that are essentially on a flat surface. The other perspective system that's really important to know is a five point, more of a global distortion. It's like a fisheye lens. Now those are mostly used by storyboard artists as well. And what their intention is, they're to convey the illusion of changes in perspective and space. Uh, from It could be from a one point perspective to a two point perspective to a three point perspective. Now remember, these are all flat images. They're flat two dimensional images, but you draw them in such a way that when the camera shows only a little bit of a section of that and pans through that location or that drawing, then it's going to give the illusion that the perspective is changing. But essentially, 1.2.3 point, absolutely critical. Knowing two-point perspective, I think, is going to be beneficial. And five-point perspective, pretty much you're going to use that if you're a, a full production layout artist. And then, of course, character scaling. That's really important. You, know, you have to know how big a character is at any given location in a space. So that's another important component. Uh, and that still falls under pretty much perspective. Uh, in addition to drawing environments that are going to be linear perspective, which is, you know, when I say linear, I'm referring to something more architectural. 
Then there's also organic environments. And so organic environments are different, right? It's hard to tell, uh, it's hard for a lot of people to interpret accuracies in depth with organic environments, but they're really based on line weight sensitivity, anything that's in the distant, uh, far distance, you're gonna draw with a very light line, a very delicate, soft line. You're not gonna have a lot of texture to that line in terms of like if you have a tree in the foreground element, you're gonna have a heavy texture of leaves and whatnot. As the tree goes further back in space, the, uh, the textural element will be minimized. So a tree way in the background might look like just basically a shape, like a circle, right? So that's what I'm talking about with line sensitivity. You wanna be using heavy line weight in foreground elements and then diminish that weight to something super lightweight in the distance. There's foreground elements, so you have to have overlapping forms. That's another way to convey perspective and depth. Uh, we talked about edge treatment, um, textural sensitivity to those things. So uh, like, it, you know, if you're in the world, look around you, right? If you look at, uh, if you're driving, I live here in the LA area. And so like on the 134 freeway, which goes through Pasadena, there's, there's a whole bunch of mountains. Uh, Pasadena is sort of like in the foothills and there's a, there's a bunch of mountains there. Well, the mountains have an elevation of like 5,500 feet. So anything, if you're right near, um, if your camera is right near some trees or something, you're going to see the full details of those, right? And then as, as things go further back, there's atmospheric perspective. There's actually like, you know, smog and haze and things like that that kind of contribute to that. But everything, as it goes further back, becomes softer, softer in value, softer in contrast. Like it's not going to be hard contrast, darks and lights. They're going to diminish. Um, even color is desaturated as it goes further back. So those are other elements that you would use. And tonal sensitivity, so light values suggest elements are in the distance. Dark values suggest things are foreground. So you use these tools um, as components to design. So speaking about that, tonal skills, really, really important. Some shows are very tonal, like Mulan was a very tonal show and you had to know tone in order to work on that show. Uh, there are other shows that aren't tonally based, so you don't have to worry about that, but then line weight would be uh, really important. With respect to tones, you have to understand the principles of lighting and perspective, uh, the impaction that light has on the time of day, the type of an angle you're going to have with light. 12 o'clock noon, light comes straight down, right? But anything in the morning, like from 6, 7 in the morning, you're going to have the sunlight is at close to the horizon, so you're going to have really sharp, long shadow lines. And it's pretty much the same when it comes to the evening. The only difference then is shifts in color. So in the morning, you basically will have uh, really uh, cool light and warm shadows. And then evening, you're going to have warm light and you're going to have uh, cool shadows. So it's, it's pretty much opposite of that. And then the other thing that you really need to be is digitally literate. At a minimum, the graphic programs that they use in the studios now are pretty much almost exclusively Photoshop. Now, I have students that work with Procreate or uh, Clip Studio. I don't use those programs myself. I'm pretty much a Photoshop guy. And, uh, but that's what the studios use. So if you use something, if you're trying to learn environment design, use Procreate, use Clip Studio if it helps you, right? You do what you need to get the job done so you can get a portfolio. But ultimately, if you don't know Photoshop and you go to a studio like Disney or Warner Brothers that uses Photoshop, they're not going to create special uh, software for you. They're not going to, they're not going to do that, right? So it's really incumbent on you to learn what the software is and basically adapt to that. Okay. So what else is important if you want to be a background designer? 
A portfolio, obviously, right? Portfolios are important for every one of the artistic roles, uh, but there's specialty uh, information that you need to know with respect to a portfolio for background design. In that portfolio, you got to demonstrate your competency and drawing skills, sort of like with the things we were talking about before. You also have to show a range in your drawing skills too. So you have to be able to do uh, some thumbnail sketches. You have to be able to do rough sketches. You have to be able to do finished line drawing and you have to demonstrate tonal skills, sort of like what we talked about. But those are all really important. They're, they're critical for different stages. Uh, there's some students that I know, all they do is like they just head to a drawing and they only draw those things with fine line drawings. And it's like, that's, you know, I need to break them of that because they have to get into the point where they can rough, rough out their ideas. Really important. You need to demonstrate your ability to design in different styles. Uh, the more styles you know, the more options you're going to have of finding and landing work uh, at different studios. This is a migratory industry, so people tend to move from one studio to another. So if one studio has a certain style and you don't have that, you're not going to be working there. It's, it's as simple as that. Uh, also demonstrating a competency in perspective, like we talked about, right? That's another critical thing that you have to know. If you don't know perspective and you go to a show that is heavily based on perspective, like Rick and Morty, or if you're working for Warner Brothers on a superhero show, whatever, if you don't demonstrate that in your portfolio, you're not going to get work. So that's it's important that you branch out with that. And also show that you can draw organic environments, trees, meadows, hills, mountains, things like that, or combinations of linear architecture nestled in with environments that are organic. And um, another thing that's helpful too, I've gotten a lot of work this way, and I'm, I'm kind of like known for uh, being able to do technical drawings, is your ability to do technical drawings. And that would include things like elevation, orthographic views. That's a real plus if you know that. If you don't know it and a job requires that, you don't get the job. What else? Uh, communication skills. You have to communicate with management and with artists. It's a collaborative effort. Everything we do in animation is all about collaboration. You have to have a good ability to work well under pressure. You have to take and follow direction, super important. Uh, you must be detail-oriented. It's really important that you learn how to break down scripts so you can really extract the maximum amount of information uh, from a script so that when you do your designs, your designs are thoughtful. They're anticipating problems. They're anticipating design elements that need to be in there. Um, super, super, super important there. And also uh, naming conventions. Uh, it's We're all digital now. Studios will want certain naming conventions. Teams and crews will expect certain naming conventions. So you have to adapt to that. Uh, the ability to take constructive feedback, revisions to your work, all of that's important. And also being flexible and having the adaptability in different environments is also another important thing today. So that means that you should be able to work comfortably in person with other people. You should be able to be versed in video technology using things like Zoom or Teams. Uh, you should be able to discuss things over the phone. There are some people who don't have those skills, but all of those things are really important. Also be personable, be friendly. No one wants to work with a jerk, so be cool, right? Be accommodating, be friendly, right? All important. And also meet your deadlines, really important. Animation pipelines are like a baton relay, basically. So most positions rely on one other person or artist to finish something and then they hand it to that artist and they do their work then they hand it to another artist and they're all based on tight schedules so it's really important that that be part of your process too what else education super important i'm an advocate of higher education now there are a lot of people in our industry who are self-taught and that's awesome and they're really good 
but I'm an advocate of education. I'm, I'm educated through college systems. And what I think is a benefit there is that basically it's an expedited learning process and it better prepares you for the industry challenges. You're dealing with hopefully faculty that have industry experience. They're going to give you, you know, valuable information that you can learn from before you get into the industry. I think that's important. Internships, really, really important. And you get those through colleges or universities and it gives you an opportunity to work for studios. Uh, for credit, but you're getting, you know, opportunities to start networking. That's really important. I strongly encourage networking. So, so important. So plug into things, volunteer at uh, different animation related events, right? Here in LA, we have CTNX, we have Lightbox, there's Seagraph that travels all over the place, you know, participate in those. And if you're a student, you also can take advantage of student clubs. We have some at our university that are animation uh, driven. So, the, you know, these students are able to uh, work on events that we, we include and invite people from the industry to come to visit and give lectures or workshops so they get to interact with them. What's happening there? They're networking, right? So it's, it's all cool. And the last thing I wanted to talk about too was uh, salary ranges for union studios, signatory studios. So salaries, you can expect it to be on the low end. Uh, you'd come into the industry pretty much as what they call an apprentice. And the apprentice, they're basically coming in and uh, learning under people who have experience in the industry. And they call those folks journeymen. So their approximate weekly salary is going to be about 1400 bucks thereabouts. And um, studios that are signed with uh, the unions, uh, they, they can only keep... Uh, an apprentice in that position for a very short period of time. I think it's six months, and then they have to graduate to another level and another level if the studio wants to keep them. Ultimately, you know, you get the experience, you're working for a little bit, you become a journeyman. And those salaries are approximately $2,000 a week, and that's a base salary. Uh, there are people who negotiate more. Uh, if you've got experience and you're, you're desirable by the studios, they'll pay you more. Uh, you know, 2600 bucks. I can see that quite easily. Um, or and even more, three thousand, four thousand dollars, five thousand um, dollars. That's you know, there's not a lot of people that could pay that much, but there are some for sure. Um, the other benefits of working for a union studio, union studios are the big studios too, like Disney. There's there's a lot of studios actually, uh, but just to name a few, Disney, Warner Brothers, DreamWorks. You know, they're all union studios. The benefits you get there, are the unions will, uh, rather the studios will will contribute to your pension. So by the end of your career, you can have a pension, right? You get a one-time payout, and then you get monthly contributions, uh, or rather monthly um, kickbacks. So you'll get monthly, monthly payments for your pension. You get the one-time payoff when you first get out, too. Um, the other thing you get is you get multiple uh, paid holidays that are negotiated with the union, and you get really excellent health and medical plans. They're some of the best I've ever seen. They're really great. And you have different options for your medical plans and really affordable. And you can protect your whole family with that. Uh, there's also job protection through the union. And uh, the retirement packages that I've mentioned uh, are, are really excellent. And the other, <coughs> excuse me, the other thing that you're going to get is you're going to get paid medical when you leave too. So there's a lot of benefits that you'd, uh, you'd get when you're working for a union studio. But it's super fun working for these industry uh, studios. and you know, the other thing that I've always loved about it, too, is that, you know, you're teaching, uh, rather, uh, you're, you're learning as you grow. They're, they're actually teaching you how to become a better artist. 
and you actually grow, right? You're getting paid to become a better artist. And over you know a few years of doing this stuff, you're going to become really highly proficient as an artist. A lot of the artists that I know, they do side jobs. They'll do freelance. I still do freelance. But others will do comic books and they sell those and they, you know they're they're into a lot of other things and you know quite a few people teach too. That's another advantage. So anyway, I think that there's a there's a lot of benefits that you get out of uh, trying to work in the industry as a background designer and it's a really fun experience. It's a fun job. Uh, you have the ability if you want to to travel internationally, right? Build up some skill sets. And uh, it's just a really amazing career and it's one that you really should check out if you're interested in something like that. Thanks for joining us on this week's podcast episode of Animation U. Make sure you visit our website at animation, the letter U, dot buzzsprout.com, where you can subscribe to our show. And follow us on facebook.com forward slash animation, the letter U, podcast. You can also check out my professional work at robertjsaintpierre.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate us on iTunes, and please help by telling your friends all about us. We'd really appreciate it. I'm your host, Robert St. Pierre, and remember this show is about animation and you, and together, we are Animation You.